the passage today is from Colossians chapter 3, and it's going to be at page 1170 in that Pew Bible. Um, and really, um, most of y'all have been here week to week, and you know that Paul's letter doesn't start at this sentence. Um, but if you're dropping in, I would um, encourage you to read uh, the preceding part of the chapter. Um, I'll tell you that there are sermons, recordings of sermons on that material as well. Um, but we're starting at 4.18. At 3.18 down to 4.1. Here, the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of I service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Here ends the reading of God's word. Pray with me. Lord God, you have called us to yourself. You have spoken to us in your word. You have not shut us aside. You have not left us to cower or to wonder how can we come in. As the master of the house, you have said all that is yours. As hospitality for us, you have sent your own son. Lord, we live in a time we, we have a legacy. We are, we are the beneficiaries of a society where liberty and freedom have had great, great influence. And it, it often rings confusing to us. It certainly does to the people around us to hear of you as the master the king, the ruler. We know that you are wholesome and generous and glorious. We know that the word obedience puts on us honor, 
provoked and pricked by the pride, uh, the promises of better around us. And we need, Lord, for you to persuade us of your great love in your Son and the power of his submission, his taking on our responsibilities. Do that in the preaching of your word. Father, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Christian, hear. Christ has risen and is seated at the right hand of God. By faith in Jesus, you are to carry his peace in the submission and the authority that shapes your families. Submission and authority are unpopular terms today, especially when associated with family life. They, they commonly call up thoughts of oppression. At best, submission and authority are respected as offensively necessary. Um, at best, they're kind of like cats on a farm. You need them, even if you're allergic to them. You need submission and authority, even if they make you feel uncomfortable when you notice them. You need cats on a farm to get rid of mice, so they're important. But you do not want to watch the cats do their work. It's just gross. Regrettable. Jesus does not regret submission and authority. He doesn't treat them like useful predators that don't belong in the house. You may well be offended in hearing Paul's command to slaves, obey. You may feel embarrassment at Paul's command to wives, submit. There is a lot of ugliness in families, but the submission and authority that Paul commands is wholesome. Paul said in chapter 3, verse 1, Seek the things that are above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And that's how you do this. Let's begin with some obvious observations. One, wives, husbands, children, parents, slaves, masters, those are Christian callings. These differing relationships are not foreign to the life of the church, and they're not at odds with the work of the Holy Spirit. Each of these roles is a good thing to do. Second, specific commands are given to each of these classes of people. Each of these roles should be done well. You can be a bad husband, but you shouldn't. You can be a bad slave, but you shouldn't. You can be a good parent, and you should be. You can be a good master, and you should be. Three, the structure is submission and authority, but both sides have duties. These relationships are not symmetrical, but they also aren't one-sided. Christian, here, Christ has risen and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. By faith in Jesus, you are to carry out his peace in the submission and authority that shapes your family.
I may have repulsed you. I said that a Christian can be a good master. Uh, that is, a good slave owner. I just spoke of wives submitting to their husbands without any polite qualifications and hemming and hawings. And I read aloud about children obeying their parents in everything. And that might well bring up horrible memories for some of you. Now, we will talk about marriage and parenting and slavery in weeks to come. But first, this week, you need to understand why Paul talks about these relationships. In 2020, these are three controversies. But in the first century, these three relationships, they constitute the fundamental building block of society. It's observable, but it's also how people spoke about society, how they spoke of cities, how they spoke of peoples, that the household, the independent and private household was the bedrock. And that model household in the first century it would likely include grandparents or cousins or other kin, but the basic pieces of the puzzle are a marriage, an offspring, and yes, at least one slave. The Lord Jesus has conquered sin and death. He is seated victoriously at the right hand of the Father. The peace that comes from his victory is being extended into the foundations of society. Christians are called to bring the peace of Christ into their households. Now, before you ponder marriage and parenting and slavery, you must realize that the peace of Christ has come with the blessings of his victory. Marriage and parenting and slavery truly can fester like the flesh and stink like sin. But the peace of Christ comes healing, bringing honor, bestowing real goodness. In, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, Paul gives a holistic call to godliness. Personal holiness for the Christian, interpersonal love in the church, and a corporate ambition to extend the peace of Christ, quote, to which indeed you were called in one body. Here in the passage that we've heard today, these are not naked rules. You are not alone and left to your weakness with them. You are fed on the word of Christ that dwells richly in our fellowship. Paul does not assume that all believers live in Christian households. But he knows that each brings the peace of Christ into their own household. Here in 3.18-4.1, Paul's main point is that the peace of Christ rules your life within whatever family is your family. The Christian here, Christ is risen and is seated at the right hand of God. By faith in Jesus, you are to carry out his peace and the submission and authority that shapes your families. 
This passage is about bringing the peace of Christ into your household. It's Paul's teaching for the church. It's authoritative. It's the word of God. It is also the most offensive passage I've ever preached in this church. Paul clearly contradicts our common ideas about individual rights and autonomy. I, I can't remove the scandal. I can show you that it matches the real world and that it matches the Lord Jesus. If you are provoked by the way God has created and ruled the world, your heart can be won over by how the Lord Jesus himself has lived in this world and by living in it, rescued it. To our sin, all this talk of submission and authority can sound like a direct attack on your liberty. But the sending of Jesus, it's 180 degrees opposite of an attack. It's a, it's a rescue. It's a restoration. In old-fashioned language, the sending of Jesus is redemption. The offended reaction is actually ironic. Submission and authority in the household are Christian teaching. But the objection that they trample individual dignity is actually itself a leftover from Christian doctrine. This is not how the ancients have thought. This is not the common, sweeter underbelly of human societies and cultures. It is Christian faith that requires reverence, and that is the right word, reverence for each person as God's image bearer. In the ancient world and through the ages, it's the spread of the gospel that has elevated people in submissive roles. The wife became cherished and glorious as a reflection of the bride of Christ. Children were no longer mere possessions of their fathers, a question on the father's lap at birth, shall I keep or shall, and I mean this quite literally, we send it to the ash heap, the dump. No longer, because God the father became the model of parenting. Slaves were no longer in Aristotle's accurate, erudite words, living tools, because their status echoed the service of the Lord Jesus himself. There's much to discuss, much to, to, to learn about, to know. But, but very simply, it was Christendom that abolished slavery. Oh, I mean twice. Both before and after Europe invented racism. Our culture has repudiated God. It's championed the infinite worth of the individual while making the word infinity meaningless. Humanity is a cosmic accident magically invested with inalienable rights. Each, each little accident with no purpose or plan connected to nothing but its own little ball of protoplasm somehow must be treated as a grand truth not surprised when people say, yeah, but we can shave off 20% and still be ahead. We don't have to have all of them. 
human, human dignity has been cut free from obedience to God. Instead, the dignity of men and women lies in their choices, in their being bound by nothing but themselves. And instead of the honor of God's willing servants doing his work, being dressed up in his character and his achievements, we have the compulsion of our own desires. Yes, freedom of conscience and self-determination are real and compelling. In fact, they are biblical teaching. But the Bible does not reduce people to disconnected attempts at self-importance. Family is real. It's how God made us. Submission and authority, they are both fundamental to our relationship with God and also woven into our relationships with each other as image bearers of God. Affirming self-determination but rejecting submission and authority is silly. It's holding on to one truth as your excuse for ignoring wisdom. It's like a mathematician denying that multiplication and division exist because he has mastered subtraction and addition. The folly of our obsession with individual rights, it's obvious from this passage. Your decisions are too small to describe your life, the richness of your life, the substance of your life. The household has three different arrangements. There are relationships from decision, there are relationships from design, and there are relationships from disaster. Into these three situations, by faith in Christ, you bring the peace of Christ. And, and again, as I've said in other sermons, not just the quiet serenity. I mean the fruit of victory. I mean what happens after the enemy is sent off in a rout. And we're no longer thinking about whether we win. We're thinking what we do now that the Lord has won. You bring that into these situations. The submission and authority of marriage only come into existence by a decision. There's not some generic call for women who meet men they don't know to submit to them. There's not. Men do not in some generic individual, well, there's a man or woman in the same space, have a place of authority. Oh, no. This comes into existence by decision. Marriage is exclusive and unbreakable, but it begins with an act of self-determination. That is why a Christian wedding, and I know there's a lot of other stuff that's very significant, and it boils down to an exchange of vows. It's a decision that forges a bond of submission and authority that makes two one, not two occupying the same space and trying to figure out how to do that. That's called a treaty. 
when my brother-in-law joined the Coast Guard, he took an oath that did the same thing. It submitted him in a relationship of submission and authority. He told me that if he got a severe sunburn, he would be reprimanded and fined for destroying government property. When Graham joined the church today, he took vows. He entered into a relationship of submission and authority. And his self-determination, real, in no way contradicts the duties that he and you and the elders share in. The submission and authority of children and parents does not begin with a decision. I know. We kind of want to make sure of that. We have all sorts of, I'll assure you that on one side, and when they get to the age 12, they will tell you they had no choice in the matter. Being born, well, especially being born to, to these people. The obligations of parent and children, they come from design. Parentage is inherent in the design of husband and wife. And yes, the child has no choice. The obligation precedes birth. Every day that child has choices. But his obligation never depends on who he wants for his parents. His choice. And those of you with elderly parents, you don't have a choice. Even though as time goes on, you have more and more decisions. You're obligated, even as their capacity diminishes. And, and this is part of why the church baptizes infants. No, they did not decide to be part of Christ's church. No, at baptism, they are not choosing the duties and the benefits that come from submission and authority in Christ's church. It is by God's design. As Peter said at Pentecost, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. No decision. Submission and authority. But not just rules. You look at a child how that child thrives, all the benefits that child has. And what you see, you see, is produced by those parents with authority over that child. Yes, mom dresses him that way. Good or bad, whatever, she dresses him. Yes, it's dad who shows him this is how you take the trash out without making that mess. When we talk about submission and authority. We, in our, our obsession with our rights and the demand that no one be obeyed in my presence but me, we reduce all this down to these rules. We are so jealous for our power that we are suspicious of every other Almighty. God Almighty. God Almighty.
mighty must free us, or all we will do is be in opposition to him. And he sent the weakness of his son. Lastly, no welcome decision leads to enslavement. Slavery is contrary to the design of human character. Slavery is relationship not from decision, not from design. Slavery is relationship from disaster. And by disaster, I do not mean being kidnapped. In the law of Moses, if you kidnap someone, you got the death penalty. In the law of Moses, if you bought someone who some other wicked person kidnapped, you got the death penalty. Paul expresses the same thing in his letters. Even Roman imperial law brought the death sanction on kidnapping. What's talked about here is slavery is not kidnapping. It's the thing that arises from disaster. Slavery came from financial ruin or from defeat in war or from being exposed on that ash heap as an infant. Slavery was the only way to stay alive, the only way to stay part of society. Slavery is what happened instead of a shameful death. It's a relationship that comes from disaster. And we'll talk about slavery more in the future, but just to see that this is part of how things work. It's similar to a judge giving a young man the choice between a prison sentence and joining the army. That young man is going to go obey. And yes, I mean, that mullet will not be there anymore. And everything else like it, he will obey. Because his choice is disaster. Disaster is what gets you there. It's like a drug-addicted person choosing a rigorous rehab program over jail time. It comes only with hitting bottom. And sometimes it's purely out of desperation and with no place else to turn that people step into Christ's church. They don't have faith. They don't have character. They don't have good intention. They just think they found some sliver of a solution to some pressing problem. And the church does have authority to bless in Christ's name. And those people can be prepared to jump through what they consider the necessary hoops. Disaster makes things happen. In slavery, a relationship of submission and authority was produced from disaster. Now look, it is inherently ugly. It's a disaster without a dead body. It's self-determination bound up in the smallest possible space. In, in, the, in the biblical description, slavery is a disaster that has nothing but a question about the future. But a question about the future is a lot to have when you have nothing else. This is why the Bible, the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus uses redemption as a word for salvation. Redemption 
is delivering a person from slavery. This is Paul, Colossians 1.13. The Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, these are the kinds of relationships into which you are bound. You might bind yourself with a vow. Um, God might bind you with a birth. You might act foolishly or accidentally or just get sideswiped by disaster. But most likely, a large part of your life is or will be in the context of submission and authority. It's true. Submission and authority are both abusable. Some very bad things can happen to you or be done to you. But submission and authority are not bad. Crimes and wickedness are not justified by them or supported by them. Submission and authority are the fabric of ordinary life, especially around families. This is why bringing the peace of Christ in your family is so extraordinary, so full of promise. Jesus not only endorses submission and authority, he himself lived in submission and authority. His victory over sin brings peace where people are bound together. Submission and authority are the, the fundamental shape of your created relationship with God. Submission and authority are essential to Christ's incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling with authority as he is submitted to the demands of your salvation. In the coming weeks, we will look closely at these relationships, marriage, parenting, and yes, even slavery. Colossians 3, 18-4-1 is the word of God for your upbuilding and for God's glory through you. It's true. But Paul's point is not simply debunking the fruitlessness and the loneliness of modern identity formation. Again, this is about you extending Christ's peace in the world. This is about his heavenly victory actually being your earthly business. You are called to trust in the Lord Jesus. You're called to place your faith in him rather than any other source or strength. Your heart is to be devoted to the Savior, the Son of God, who took for himself the results and the consequences of your sin and gives to you the results and the consequences of of his fidelity. He is not just a true idea of forgiveness. He's not simply a correct conception of reconciliation. These are not just rules and things that need to be done in the proper order. He is the risen Lord. He has accomplished victory over the entire throng of wickedness, grief, and deceit. That is why this passage grows out of Paul's basic exhortation back at 3.1. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. In the work of wife, husband, child, parent, even slave and master, the Christian's faith brings the peace of Christ, the fruit of his victory, into your household. Your mind is set on the heavenly Christ. You're seeking to have his benefits here and now on earth by faith, the work of the Spirit, and the providence of God that's organized around the seed of the Lord Jesus. You bring into your household the sweetness and invigoration and comfort of the Lord Jesus. He is a mighty king, and he has come to overturn his enemies make life and glory the goodness of God to everything. I've been a Christian for 38 years. Um, I've had to live white knuckled at times in the business of submission and authority. Um, if you want to put an image on it, I've lost a finger or two following Paul's commands. Even if you believe in the Lord Jesus, and I know you do, you can still hear all these words with skepticism. I understand how submission and authority can sound like iron and emptiness. I appeal to you. Hold your faith and this passage together, even if you must hold them in separate hands, do not politely nod and push to the side. As a preacher of the gospel, I want Christ's peace extended through you to the people nearest and dearest to you and to your neighbors. As a pastor, I want you to have the comfort and the stoutness of enjoying his heavenly gifts here now. So I'm appealing to you. Please talk with me and the elders. There are obvious questions. There are questions not asked yet in this room. Don't hurry. Ask those questions when you're ready. But please, come and listen seriously for the next few weeks. You need to set your mind on Jesus. You need to seek the one who rules from the right hand of the Father. Hear that. There is nothing for you to fear in that. The only things that would frighten you about the Lord Jesus are your sins. And he has taken all of that on himself. Seek the one who rules from the right hand of the Father. Remember, he's the one who said this to his apostles. This is what he said to those who would rule under him in his church. In Mark chapter 10. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, you promise your spirit with your word. Glorify your son. Please persuade us of the greatness of your love in him. Pray in his name.